0: We're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar, bringing you another Oscar Sprint Profile today. And for all the non-movie watching that we've had for these last couple months, thanks to the COVID virus, we actually have a couple big-name titles in a row coming out, bang, 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 on some streaming services. And one of those big-name titles is The Five Bloods from Spike Lee. That is what's going to get the Oscar Sprint Profile treatment from Mike's today. Uh, Before we dive into the review of that, though, we do have some news that the Academy dropped on us early today, Friday morning. I am your co-host, Mike One. Co-host also Mike will fill you in on what
1: happened with the Academy today, Michael. Yeah, so we get months of nothingness. We're just walking <laughs> through Mordor, literally like the the two hobbits there, because I saw that on, on uh, TV the other day, mm-hmm. and I, uh, you know... It's always on my mind because I'm a yeah, dork. Yeah, sexual tension is just as high with you and I as it is between them. Yes, Sam and Frodo. We are Sam and Frodo, aren't we? Who's Sam and who's Frodo? I got to be Sam. You're definitely That's fine. Frodo.
0: I don't. N- none of these words mean a thing
1: to me. Everybody so I'm, I'm just turned this off. They're in for Spike Lee. <laughs> and yeah, right. Sam and a little Frodo. misdirect. What I was trying to get into, though, Mike, was that the the fact that we have months of nothingness. We're just walking and walking and walking, and now we just get a you know a slew of news, a slew of moves. Yeah, and uh, just I can't get over it. Like it should be an off season. We should be doing rewatch series. We can't we couldn't even really get into that because there was just nonstop news this year. And, uh, you know, we got it again with the Academy. The The big news drop didn't happen with ter- in terms of the uh, the date getting changed. But we did get a bunch of diversity and inclusion initiatives, programs, task forces from the Academy that will be instituted very soon, dealing with race relations, dealing with, with gender inequalities, and I think that's very important. We're going to dissect each one of those on our next next Oscar race checkpoint. And then we got some news about the Best Picture category. It's going to be a flat 10 at the 90, 94th Oscars, so that's not this upcoming ceremony. that'll be the 93rd but the year after this we'll have uh, a flat 10 best picture so we got one more year you and I where we're betting on how many best picture nominees we're going to get I weep for my knives
0: out prediction that didn't come true this year. That was my 10th best picture pick uh, that had never, you know, the, a movie with those types of best picture prereqs and all the major Guild Award prereqs. Having never missed the best picture field before, it made me look like a fool. Maybe that would have been the 10th film this year. Maybe it wouldn't have, and I would have been looking like more of a fool. But yeah, so those are some big changes. The diversity thing is very timely and very huge, obviously. The best picture thing as far as big changes to the award show, not the big change we were expecting. Uh, we were expecting an official change of date. That hasn't Come down the pipeline yet, but uh, we did get some changes from the Academy. Like you said, we will go through all of those more in depth on the next ORC episode. For this episode, we are going through the Oscar Sprint profile for The Five Bloods from Spike Lee. If you've not joined us before for an Oscar Sprint profile or an OSP, as we lovingly call them, what they are is a two review for the price of one special. You had a non spoiler and a spoiler filled review. If you've not seen the movie yet, don't worry. Uh, we won't spoil it for you in the first half of all of the OSP episodes, as every first half of every OSP is of the non spoiler variety. You will have a big spoiler warning in the middle, and then we get into all the twists and turns of the plot and what we thought about them thereafter at the spoiler section. So, all non spoilers to start, and the way we start is with a production profile, Michael, of The Five Bloods.
1: Yeah, so of course, The Five Bloods is directed by Spike Lee, Oscar winner Spike Lee, and he needs no further introduction. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've been previewing this movie for. <laughs> (laughs) a month right now so it's only because we have yeah because we have uh the writing credits go to four people though you have spike lee himself you have danny bilson and paul d mayo and their biggest credit on imdb is the rocketeer do you remember the rocketeer from when we were kids you ever see that I never saw
0: it, but I know it. I mean, that's all. That's my history with the Rocketeer. Did you?
1: I loved it as a kid. I loved it. It was one of those movies that I don't think did all that well, but was just like a huge hit. In the also Mike household with me and my brothers, so I, you know, I was like a my version of a cult classic back then. I felt like I was one of the only people who loved that movie, and all my friends <laughs> or whatever. I would be curious to rewatch it now to see if it's any good. But anyway, we uh, could
0: do a Rocketeer rewatch. if you I want. would
1: prefer a Rocketeer rewatch at some point. I, I would thank you very much for that. You're Mike, welcome. Kevin wilmot from Black Klansman uh, co won that Oscar with Spike Lee on mm-hmm. that stage last year. Two years ago. Oh, my God. Two years ago. Uh, he also wrote uh, Chirac before that and then Spike Lee himself. So four screenwriters for this. And I wonder if there are a few too many hands in the kitchen. You know, that's a teaser for this review a little bit. I'm going to be a bit mixed. But, uh, you know, I wish it was I wish it was just one sole vision, I would say. Yeah, I, I think I uh very much co sign what you're saying there.
0: The Five Bloods stars Black Panthers Chadwick Bozeman, The Professionals Gene Reno, Richard Jewels Paul Walter Hauser, The Last Black Man in San Francisco's Jonathan Majors, The Wires Clark Peters, Van Veronica Go, The Last Jedi, and she was also in Bright, Isaiah Whitlock from Cedar Rapids and Black Klansmen, and Delroy Lindo from Malcolm X and Get Shorty. Who
1: um, is that first of- name there, Mike? Gene Reno? He's from. Yeah, uh, Gene Reno, yeah. Uh, named listen, after I- the city, the, the biggest little city in the world. J E N spelled
0: if he comes to the connecticut valley he's gene reno i got news for him <laughs> uh, in terms of oscar-nominated crew people the music of the five bloods is done by terence blanchard of black Klansmen as well I just
1: it's jean reno nah, nah, not... Nah, 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 <laughs> not in this not in this neck of the woods buddy back the way you came Critical reception, as of Friday, t- today when we're recording this, is 90% on 123 reviews for, uh, I almost called it Black Klansman again, five Bloods. Mm-hmm. 82 metascore, very high metascore. Right. And it's a, it's a new audience rating on IMDb, but so far it sits at 6.9 out of 10. Nice. What do you think of those critical and audience reception numbers?
0: I think it's been mixed reviews for the most part as what we've seen. So I'm surprised to see the critic score so high because there are critics we know and trust who have not been as high, at least in who we follow on social media and talk to often, uh, that were quite
1: mixed on this. I yeah. think we're going to be quite mixed on this as well. Well, that's the thing of the people we trust, Mike, like half mm. of them are on one side, half of them on the other. Right. And some of right. them are very negative, and some of them are, you know, g- giving this a rave review. So right. it was very confusing heading into this. I was actually really excited to go into the review, even though when you tally up all the numbers, it's it's mostly positive. I, I, w- I was excited because, you, you know, to have that, you know, movie sitting in the balance where you're really not sure of what you're getting, that's kind of fun for us. And they usually don't register with an 82 Metascore. Uh, like yeah
0: the tomato meters the t- the critic score of the tomato meter can go one way or the other but a metascore is usually a pretty good swath of critics there and you usually get a pretty relatively exact type of feel for the film and 82 for a metascore is extremely high
1: very high very high oscar level high no yeah. question Anyway, Mike, you got the plot
0: premise here. We have from IMDb four African American vets battle the forces of man and nature when they return to Vietnam seeking the remains of their fallen squad leader and the gold fortune he helped them
1: hide. I don't know if nature necessarily needs a word in the premise because it's involved, but I don't know. Is a
0: snake nature? Is that part of nature? Maybe.
1: Yes. There's a snake.
0: (laughs) That could be nature.
1: Spoiler alert, but it's crazy, <laughs> that snake scene. Mike, in terms of our expectations, like we said, we are previewing this movie for almost a month. We are desperate for it. I wonder if my expectations were too high. I'm also such a student of Spike Lee's filmography. I've seen most of his films. I was just going through every one of them the other day with you, and I was like, oh, I love so many of them. Right. There's only a few standouts that weren't great, but even the ones that weren't great still weren't terrible at the same time time you know so i haven't seen some of his tv movies i haven't seen the blood of jesus so i was worried that i would not like this movie because the the blood of jesus was just completely crushed by critics i wonder if it was the curse of the duh but i don't think that's i don't think that's you went
0: with that joke i told you not to do that joke and you went with that you know I, i you know as far as expectations go I'm very mixed when it comes to most of Spike's work anyway and and like we did talk about I I, I like it and then I usually sour on it and it usually nestles somewhere around like a B a B-minus B range for me so I kind of expected the same. This one the trailer at least looked more like an action movie than I was originally expecting. Mm-hmm. Anyway, when I saw the premise for the story, so I thought I, I I maybe was expecting more of an action premise which kind of confused me because I'm like how can you fit an action movie with a bunch of old dudes going back to Vietnam to rescue their he, it does turn action-y at times. It's a mixed bag. It's almost as if he tried to do three or four different type of genre movies in one
1: very long movie. I wish I had lower expectations. I wish I let the June release date speak more to mm. me, you know? And, and that would have lowered my expectations to the point right. where I didn't expect you know, this 10-nomination Oscar movie because perhaps, you know, we'll revisit this when we're looking at Delroy Lindo's performance and comparing it to other actors come award season because I do think that one's going to have some legs the way Agreed. it's getting buzzed right now. So, I, you know, we'll compare it again and maybe, you know, we'll come even higher, come down higher on it later on. But, you know, right now, I, I agree to tease my review. I'm very mixed on this. Uh, but, uh, you know, in terms of production values, I think we're both pretty high, right?
0: Yeah, there are some gorgeous shots. And Spike Lee, obviously, is a master of working the camera and, and a master of getting a, the most bang for the buck. And he has these sprawling jungle landscapes. He kind of parodies a couple other films. He's got mm-hmm. his trademark uh, Dolly Zoom shot that he works in at the end of all of his Make movies. Make you wait That's for it, there. though. <laughs> he does make you wait for it. That's right. You got to earn it. He parodies Apocalypse Now, I feel like, with the way he treated the sunrise and entering the jungle. He's, I mean, it's a lush landscape he's dealing with anyway. But yeah, the, the cinematography I thought was as good as anything else. If there is a second nomination to come of this, I would think it would be cinematography, but I don't know that it's going to be at the end of the day anyway
1: crane shots aerial shots i don't know if they're done with a copter or a drone when he gets up into the air but this is spike working on a grand scale and like he was talking all week you know i do hope this movie is seen in theaters at some point because it's worthy of it this is epic spike lee uh in terms of the 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 style of the cinematography i loved how they use the aspect ratio because they use different cameras. They used old cameras for the flashbacks, you know, and the old Vietnam norm stuff, which Adwick Bozeman. I love that. that. I loved how the aspect ratio was literally a narrative device at certain yep. points. Then you have the handheld camera that Eddie's—you know—he's documenting their trip a little bit. So that—that's a little thing that they cut in and out of. So I—I I, I loved the cinematography of this film. It's just so crisp, so gorgeous at certain times. And in the money shots, nobody doesn't like Spike, man. He's the best. I—I, I, you know, just—it's worth the price of admission right there for me. So is that Oscar worthy? Well, I'm frustrated because I think, you know, some of his previous films have had just, you know, knock you over with a feather kind of cinematography. Right. I mean, it really just, I, I, I could be, I'm, I'm frozen by the end of the movie. I'm so in awe of it. And you can literally knock me over with a feather because I'm catatonic at that point because it's so <laughs> gorgeous, which is, yeah, you know, you like when I explain my metaphors extra at the end. Yeah. when yeah. They I should have been really, fleeting. And, it yeah. does a lot for me. <laughs> Is, is it's top five right now for me, my cinematography? I don't know if it'll hold there. I don't right. think the Academy necessarily likes the showy camera work in most, in, in most films. They typically, you know, you, you, you've we've see, all seen what the Academy loves. They like their period pieces in terms of the cinematography. They like, you know, the, the slow movement, someone more restrained like last year in terms of, you know, what Parasite did, etc. So I'd be surprised. Yeah, I would
0: be surprised only because I don't know that it's necessarily anything new from Spike Lee. Like they haven't they haven't yeah. really done a lot with him in terms of the cinematography previously, and it's not like this is going to go down in history as something wholly unique from him, from a way he moves the camera and uses it and uses them as a using different editing techniques as a narrative devices, like you kind of hit on. So, to to me, I, I know editing's its own separate category, but it does flow into the how the look of the whole movie goes. So to me, I don't know that this would rise to that level either because it just
1: hasn't historically is that right or wrong well that's a different argument spike lee angles is used as a you know a jokey line in a judd apatow movie right, recently. right. when they're in the uh, when they're in the uh, i think was it was at this is 40 i forget but whatever judd apatow movie that was i think it was paul rudd who said it yeah come on let me get in there and they <laughs> kick him out anyway the editing mike So you get photos from all of history, especially black history, especially history that isn't well known to the masses. Yes. I appreciated this. I liked learning through this movie. Spike is a great teacher. Yes, It is jarring at times, and it's jarring at times for multiple reasons. It's jarring because... You're dealing with the crisp cinematography of a major motion picture, and then you cut to some old footage, and that's kind of frustrating. It takes you out of the movie a little bit, but you're also literally seeing people die. You're seeing some of the most well-known Vietnam footage, people getting shot. I mean, so you know, a trigger warning there. I mean, th- there are snuff films within this film. You're seeing oh, yeah. dead bodies. It's heartbreaking stuff, and it never stops being heartbreaking. We've unfortunately we've all seen it a million times, but it's uh, it, it really it really rocks you. I know the context
0: is completely different because obviously, but with so many people having experienced the George Floyd death on tape, I mean, it does kind of just because of the moment we are in right now in history, this does provide maybe more of an educational lens to kind of learn from. And maybe you do get a different perspective uh, from being shown these things. And it is graphic. I mean, it's like it shows you the atrocities of war. No question about it. And again, I know the context between this movie and the real news intercuts and what happened, what we're all living through is completely separate from one another. They do have similarities. But I I do think I just wanted to make that point. I think because of what's going on in the world right now, you may be able to actually glean more from what Spike Lee put forward in this
1: film. I really, you know, give this movie a lot of points for ambition, though, because I think Spike is trying to tell a story that hasn't been told, you know, shamefully hasn't been told by anybody else. And when he premiered this to a lot of black Vietnam War veterans, the one big criticism he got from them was like, what took you so long to, you know, we've been waiting for you to make this movie, Spike. So I think that this meant a lot to him and he tried to jam a lot in there. Sometimes it works really well. Sometimes it, it does. It right. takes away from the momentum of the story right. at times, which is frustrating. Uh, I think the music, again, I'm very mixed on the music. I love the soundtrack. I love that we got a lot of Marvin Gaye. Uh, the acapella Marvin Gaye scene is perhaps Outstanding. one of the best, most powerful scenes of the film. You get Time Has Come Today. It's you know featured in the trailer. It's just kind of a transitional song in this movie. But it, it does pack a wallop as it always does. What I had a problem with, Mike, was the score. It doesn't seem to fit. It almost seems like it's a 1990s movie score. And it's really frustrating. It's it's kind of corny. And I, I really got frustrated with the score over the, the new shots. Like, maybe it works over the old shots in a tarantino S sort of way, you know, because you got the old footage and it matches up with that time period better than it matches up with the present day.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I am extremely frustrated with the score and i don't know why i I can't tell if spike's trying to play games with us through the score or if it's because it's kind of basic like you're describing but there are moments where it seems like not only is the score out of place but it's slightly patriotic music and to my mind i'm like okay maybe that's being done intentionally because he's trying to like take a, a, a satirical look onto what these guys are going through as soldiers. Now they were basically sacrificed for our country, even though it was completely wrong in the way they were used and the way black soldiers were used in Vietnam in general. I, I couldn't tell, but I share your frustration that there was something very off about the score. Uh, that's not to say anything about the soundtrack. The soundtrack was glorious, and the soundtrack, some of the songs that were in the soundtrack were again used by the actors themselves uh, as part of the film, which was excellent
1: yeah I'm with you in terms of the performances Mike uh, how good is Delroy Lindo he's getting so much buzz at this moment I'm really glad he made a comeback with this film even though it's everybody's calling it a comeback he just he's been working fairly consistently and you know I just saw him the other day in uh, Life Less Ordinary I watched that for the first time after our Lovers on the Run top five and everybody recommended that with Ewan McGregor Cameron Diaz he's great in that with Holly Hunter and uh, Danny Boyle one of his first movies he's always great Delroy Lindo he's been in three or four of Spike Lee's previous films. To me, this is him giving some of his best work. But I've seen him give work like this his whole career, so it's not necessarily new for him. But I do think like he gets some ultimate freakout scenes here. And if anybody in the academy is going to go for a, a, a you know a loud performance, you got to go for this one. The problem and the question I have is. Does it get too loud at times? Like we literally hear him sobbing, crying for, you know, elongated stretches. And, and, you know, that's like a pet peeve for me in movies. Like typically I like, you know, the score to be playing over that or I like going slow-mo or to give, you know, the white noise kind of effect that a lot of people do. I don't like when John Krasinski screams. I don't like when Delroy Lindo sobs for that long. It's it's really off-putting and it takes me out of the movie. Like it feels like overacting when I know it shouldn't be if if they protected him more.
0: I kind of felt that that was being done purposefully again, just to kind of show you the effect of war that it had on these soldiers. But I, I think this performance was great. I really do. And I, I, I think he, this character, Paul, does some truly, truly despicable things, but I couldn't find myself actually hating him. which I think is a credit to how Delroy was playing him I mean the, the guy is just he's hateable at times and yet you still have this part of your soul that just feels so much empathy and sympathy for him and can relate to him on so many levels even though he's doing some awful fucking things to other people including people that he considers to be his best friends somebody that he said was the godfather of his own son his son himself he's doing some horrible things and yet he's you can kind of relate that he's a man that's been pushed to the edge if not completely over it by the time this this movie wraps up so i i look we we know it's hard for actors to win an acting oscar as the lone nominee from their movie mm-hmm. uh we talked about that that was a big narrative leading up to this year's oscars with j-lo especially who ended up missing nomination altogether and i think that's part of the reason why so for that reason i can see this being overlooked because i really don't think this is going to be nominated more than maybe one time and if it is that one time it will be the uh the delroy performance here
1: See, all right, so the, if you're handicapping this, he's got the best odds at yeah. the moment. I do think editing, I do think cinematography, some of the sound categories might, might you know, look at this movie mm-hmm. fondly. I just, you know, I wish I was able to see a movie like this in the theaters, and it might have right. meant more to me. Uh, anyway, I think this was a stellar cast. Delroy Lindo as Paul, perhaps the most complex character or character. I, you know, I shouldn't say perhaps he is the most complex character, no doubt about it. Right. I think the rest of the group really grounds him and they, they work uh, really well as foils, like Clark Peters, as Otis. Like to, to me, he always anchors an ensemble. I, I love his quiet brilliance. He does the same thing here. Even when he's mad, he's not like he's not overboard or he doesn't go overboard with it. Uh, I think, uh, you know, Norm Lewis is Eddie. He's the weakest link of the chain. He's got his moments. I have uh, one of my worst scenes with the Eddie character. Like, they give him a huge speech before a big moment. That always bothers me. And, uh, like, he he frustrates me in this film, even though, uh, you know, he's done good work for Spike and others. Isaiah Whitlock as Mel, probably my favorite character. I wish they built him up some more. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, the Eddie character
0: and the Melvin character, if you take them out of this movie, I don't think you lose much, which is a shame. I mean, this movie is really about Paul and Otis and David uh, and for the for the most part. That's that's kind of the triangle of relationships we're focused on and given the most focus. And I think the, the, the Eddie scene, I share your frustration again. We're going to talk about it. It didn't work, but I think it was done for a specific purpose. And I think that purpose kind of fell short. And I could say the same about Melvin. I think Isaiah Whitlock's character was in this basically so he can give his line from The Wire and we can go, aha,
1: the wire guy. You know, like that's what I felt about it, which is a shame because I know what a brilliant talent he is. Yeah, I just I loved all his little moments. So he's making a lot out of uh, not a not a lot right. of dialogue in the script. I, I you know, I, I'm with him because of the, the big moment he gets. But uh, I, I definitely I wanted that to mean more.
0: Right. you know,
1: Other than just within the moment or have more attachment to him as a character. I felt right. like we were robbed of that. Yeah, it's unfortunate. So again, I'm going to have some problems with script thoughts here. But Jonathan Majors, Paul Walter Hauser, Chadwick Bozeman used really well. The rest of the cast, I thought, did a did a fine job. Uh, I, I think. Uh, I think this is a great ensemble. It wouldn't bother me to see this up for a SAG ensemble at the end of the day. You know, if this movie does get momentum uh, in award season, I, I'm, I'm skeptical of that right now. But it does have good scores. It does have good feeling. You never know. Maybe the rest yeah. of the Academy doesn't necessarily feel as mixed as you and I do.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. And obviously there's already momentum for it. It's getting very, very high scores from the critics and the people that have seen this already. And it does have a lot of people that you know, Hollywood likes. We know for a fact people love Spike Lee. We know for a fact everyone loves Chadwick Boseman. Uh, Paul Walter Hauser, I pray to God that was actually him jumping behind that rock because I love seeing that big man get all kinds of agile on screen uh, like he did in this one scene. But we know he's, he's well-liked and on the rise too. So there's all kinds of people attached to this that are very, very well-liked. I mean, the main four veteran actors that play four of the five bloods are longtime veterans of the industry too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, it wouldn't, would it surprise me on its merits? Yeah, a little bit, but it wouldn't surprise me taking all that into consideration and making it its own narrative.
1: I would feel good about our making awards season year-round if this movie got in on its right. <laughs> own. Just for our calendar. But, Mike, to get into some script thoughts here... Yeah, I'm very frustrated with this script because it has moments of brilliance. It has entire acts and events of just ingenious, you know, just plot maneuvers. And I loved some of this. And then you have these coincidences and contrivances that just feel so unearned. And there's no excuse for that in a movie this big, in a movie this long. They had enough time to pull it all together. Spike's career in the past, he's juggled more balls in the air than this.
0: You know what this script was? This (laughs) script was taking Brian Westbrook as your first round pick in fantasy football like circa 2005 because you're going to get at least 14 games out of him and you're going to have – four or five of those that are going to make you want to pull your fucking hair out I, because he's going to get like 12 carries for 29 yards and one catch for negative one yard with no touchdowns eh, and you eh. can say why the fuck did I waste my time with this guy but the <laughs> highs are so high and there's more highs than there are lows that's why he's a first round pick That I mean this is worthy of being a Spike Lee movie there are a lot of highs but man are the lows
1: incredibly incredibly frustrating okay so I, I demand you update that reference because nobody <laughs> outside of Philadelphia I it's don't know. I was
0: trying to think of somebody else who let like, could relate to, but I don't know anyone <laughs> who's that volatile.
1: A Everyone's got eight re- running backs anymore. <laughs> A big play receiver. I mean, uh, is, is it Luca Guadagnino and Suspiria? Deshaun Jackson
0: maybe, but I hate the Eagles. I don't know why I keep going back there. Ken,
1: he's from t- early 2000s. <laughs> what are you doing? I don't know. I'm going to say Luca Guadagnino for our fans out there who don't remember <laughs> Brian Westman, nor should they. I'll go side He's a little up and down after Suspiria, but his previous films, so he was more balanced. Right. Anyway, I agree with you. The highs are high. The lows are low. I, I love some of the stuff with Chadwick Boseman's character. I love some of the exposition that hey, we get. Chadwick
0: Boseman. I know I cut you off, but he's yeah. got to run for office sometime.
1: Oh, it's, I, if I you put a anyway. score yeah. behind
0: him and he's speaking inspirationally, My I God. would do anything he tells me to do. He
1: just has whatever it is. But unfortunately, like in act one, like we get him like preaching to these guys before we get, you know, explanations that he's that kind of character, that he's always updating us on history, that he's always. So it felt like clunky at first. And, and okay. a lot of this movie kind of explains stuff away after the fact that in the script so th- that was frustrating i mean i get it that they explained it away later and i give it passes but I, you, you do that too often and and it's and it's really aggravating in the script like because something's happened i'm like where's this how's this happening? it's coming out of nowhere it feels right. melodramatic and then spike is smart enough to have a character say something after the fact and, and give you the you know the retroactive uh treatment of it but it, it, it's it's a problem at the end of the day because there are some major coincidences that drag this oh, movie God. down. Moments of action though, I, I thought there was some great. You know, moments, especially in the finale, but there's some repetitive moments getting us there that kind of desensitize us and numb us to each one of these quote unquote action sequences. It's not really Spike's bag throughout his career. And you go back to Clockers and Crooklyn, you go back to some of his movies that really try to be action spectaculars. It's just not his strong suit. This movie is like the first time where he really knocked a few of those sequences out of the park and a couple other ones didn't have the same amount of juice. So I'm feeling better about him as an action movie director, but he's still not quite there yet. Yeah, there's some clunkiness to them, but I really like the the biggest action scene, the one that meant yeah. the most.
0: I thought he handled that extremely, extremely well. And I thought the script did a good job too of getting to that point and making it believable and authentic and making it feel like this is what the only outcome should be. This makes sense that this is happening and it's happening in this way. And for a script that I, I echo what you say, my God, does it rely on coincidences? And are there some big problems with it along the way in getting there? It does do enough a good job of a through line to hold it together to make you have a believable big action set piece that means a lot and, and it follows through as realistic. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. There's there's ups and I mean ups and downs is the name of the game here in every yeah. aspect of this. And I think part of that is what I said earlier. I really truly feel like this was about three different types of films tried to stuff into one thing, and that's probably why the runtime was two
1: hours and forty minutes. Well, it's still a Spike Lee joint, though, and it still has its yeah. highs, like we said. Let's wrap up the Oscar lens. If you have to make a guess, what would it be in terms of nominations?
0: So I said one. I, I think I stand by that for now. But it, it's so tough to play this game this early in 2020, talking about the Oscars, that I'm Sure, are not going to be in February. They have to move the date and they probably should have by now already. But if let's pretend the Oscars are still staying in February, if they stay in February still, I can see this doing, yeah, three or four, like you said, probably with the lower ones, with the sound ones. I don't think it cracks any of the big six or eight categories except for a supporting act or not.
1: Well, he's been there many times in the screenplay categories before. See, I wonder if he gets some, you know, some coattails for, for him and Willamette uh, in a way. Even though we have problems with the script, maybe other people don't with the 82 Metascore. Could be. To me, it's cinematography and Delroy Lindo as the two best chances. Editing is probably a third, and then the, and then the sound... Uh, well, I guess it's just one now. It's just sound design, right? Right. That's so, true. Yeah. So that that is another change, and I think that's happening for this year, unlike last year. So, yeah, it's got a chance at four, and maybe if the movie's got momentum, one or two more. It's not going to be a ten nomination film. No, that would be no. shocking. I, so I guess uh, we just got to leave people with a watch or don't now, Mike. I still say watch it. I'm more positive than negative. Do you have a, a counter? Uh, so opinion.
0: I. I don't know if I do or not. Like, (laughs) the messages in this movie are really, really good, and they're really necessary, and you should take them in. My problem with it is you can get those messages better said to you through other historical avenues. If you watch certain documentaries and watch certain other films and and short films, like, he's not necessarily... I mean, he is breaking new ground, but it's also... He's breaking new ground in the way that it's never been delivered on a Spike Lee-sized platform before. But this information is out there. Otherwise, if you did your homework. So do you have to watch this movie? You don't have to to get the biggest information out of it. Are you going to learn anything new if you watch this that you wouldn't possibly learn otherwise? I think not. That's where I land on it. That said, we've been saying the whole time, this does rise to the level of a Spike Lee movie. If You you should know by now whether or not Spike Lee movies are your type of thing. So, yeah, if you're, they're your type of thing, you're not going to want to miss this one. So I'm kind of 50-50. I keep going back and forth. I think during our talk, during this non-spoiler section, I got talked into making it a watch. But I originally came in saying, don't watch. So take that for what it's will. I'm a lawyer. I don't give you a straight answer. And I
1: talk around things. <laughs> well, let's explain <laughs> all your lawyering and spoilers. Spoilers ahead! This is a
0: spoiler warning. Spoilers. Oscar, Oscar Sprint Spoilers! This is the spoiler section for Spike Lee's Da 5 Bloods, now on Netflix, debuting today on June 12th, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. If you have not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to hit pause in this episode, go on Netflix, get ready to nestle in for about three hours, take this in. We'll be here waiting for you when you come back to hit play on us. If you've seen the movie already, if you're just curious to hear our thoughts, or if we've hyped up the spoiler section for you so much in the non-spoiler section that you cannot possibly go another minute without hearing our takes on them. This is where you want to be. All spoilers, all the time, from here on out. For Spike Lee's The Five Bloods, the Oscar Sprint Profile Review, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Michael, where are we going into
1: this jungle? Yeah, we're kind of, kind of trace the plot a little bit and, and discuss our highs and lows. I think that's uh, the right way to do this one. Uh, so act one, act one here, we have a lot of fun in act one you don't mm-hmm. you don't expect this movie to go off the rails like summer of Sam crazy by the end <laughs> of it and it does and it really I haven't seen a Spike Lee movie that gets quite as as nuts as this one perhaps since summer of Sam so you don't expect that it's almost like a horror movie where you know the horror movie characters are just laughing and joking like I watched the first half of Hostel and they're all just laughing and joking and having fun and dancing and I then can't I believe shut it off comparison yeah but I shut it off <laughs> I can
0: not believe the comparison you're right i mean yeah that makes sense apples to apples that first act and what happens here in act one so yeah that's uh that's a good call i will say even but though it's a little bizarre
1: i learned a lot from how he you know blended in the exposition because it's very happy with the the main a plot but we're getting the flashbacks to the essential scenes from how norm and the group found the gold we, we we're seeing you know this these major firefights back when you know in the flashbacks we're seeing you know delroy lindo's paul character start to break down a little bit he's wearing the maga hat but then you got these you know beautiful shots of the guys dancing through the bar in a line with the elbows going crazy old man moves city. I love that scene, and it's it's just hard to you know weigh the two.
0: Mike, those were four senior citizen (laughs) black men who look more natural and fluid in a banging nightclub than I ever did when I was in shape and in my early twenties going to nightclubs. I I would I just wanted an hour of that. Those
1: guys looked like they were in their natural habitat. I want to be that confident (laughs) once in my life, or or be that confident, or that don't give a fuck, or whatever they had. They were so smooth. It was great. So I I love that scene. I I think the scenario in terms of the gangsters was was set up really well. Like all this movie needs – is Jean Reno to double cross them at the end? You, I don't think that you need all the stuff with the lamb, the you know the mind people. I'm going to call them the mind people. The Frenchman, you know, Paul Walter Hauser. As good as all of they, all of them are in terms of the acting performances. But like as a subplot, it just I'm going to get more into it later. I just I think the setup with Tien, it, it worked for me in, in the early going, and then the guys obviously they're you know they're traveling to the to the jungle to to find Norm, and I love the way. Spike just layered the exposition, worked in the flashbacks, and how Act One played.
0: Yeah, the Lamb, the, the French people, we we meet three of them. This is where Paul Walter Hauser comes in. It's it's Hetty, who is a girl who finds David attractive, and, and vice versa. And she has a friend, uh, Simon and Seppo. One of them was, I guess one of them had to be there because that's in fact how Gene Reno, Janet Reno as I call him, uh, found the guys at the end, found the Bloods at the end because Seppo ran off and was caught. And they didn't really I – mean, but they still had eyes on them halfway through the movie, didn't they? So, yeah, I guess they didn't really serve a purpose. Yeah, I just talked myself into it. You're right. Those three weren't necessary.
1: Yeah, just t- cut them out of the plot. Yeah. And it's a yeah, it's a 45-minute right. shorter movie and you can focus on the relationships more because I love – all the back and forth between these guys
0: you could cut even more i mean the first 38 minutes before we get a scene where chadwick boseman is talking specifically about police brutality and him going out in the streets every day when he was younger and one of the flashback scenes i great mean scene. th- that was a great scene and that kicked off a couple good scenes in a row but the f- getting to that the first 38 minutes you can condense those down to like 10 15 minutes easily like there's again this is one of my main complaints about the script and about maybe netflix in general I wonder how much of this movie, much like The Irishman, was just Netflix saying, hey, Spike, go nuts. This is your vision. We want to see it come to life because this is two hours and 40 minutes, much like The Irishman was three and a half hours. In both these movies, I feel like you could cut an easy 45 minutes to an hour out, no problem, and tell the story you want to tell. And maybe Netflix needs to start getting on top of these all-time great directors and doing that. Because if this film had a little oversight or somebody to at least bring up some scenes and question Spike here and there, it could have been something all time
1: yeah i mean you got some great scenes to end act one there's there's two of them really i mean the scene with paul and the chicken salesman while they're on that you know that that river market i mean you see how unstable he is it ends in a powerful way with their fists in the middle the Vietnamese youth whose parents were killed during the war I mean he yells at Delroy Lindo's Paul character that he you know you killed my mother you killed my father that was set up previously when the Viet Cong vets bought them drinks at the bar previously which you thought was too good to be true which you thought was going to rise up into kind of a fight or something that didn't then but set up what had just happened what I'm talking about now I, I, lo- I love that whole sequence it was gorgeous you got the flashes to the other camera and it, it really you know foreshadowed the rest This film with Paul It's kind of uh, The give and take With the Paul character too And the great job That Delroy
0: Lindo did Throughout this movie Is that Yeah, Paul's a dick pretty much in every scene, but it's not like every fear he has isn't unfounded either. Right. Like, yes, he goes off the radical deep end at times, but yeah, he knows from the jump. He doesn't he doesn't really trust anybody. And every kind of fear he has almost comes to fruition in one way or another. And it's almost like, well, you know, yeah, maybe some nasty things do need to get done. And and maybe you should be aware of the worst in people sometimes. And, And that type of and that's why you never really fully turn on Paul, at least from
1: where I was watching. Well, he's such a great character because he is set off and then he sets off other characters, which is you want that electronic charge in mm. your script. And, and he really, really is. He makes so much sense in the script and they, they probably should have built it around him even more than they did. Yeah. Uh, and it just make it Paul's story. with Well, the take way the Eddie
0: this, scene. Yeah, take yeah. the Eddie scene. Take Eddie out of this movie and give that, you know, uh, that's, that's the, the frustration. There was so much.
1: We'll get to it, but keep going. If it was the two bloods or the three bloods right, it would have right. been a better movie. Or the,
0: the two bloods and his kid. You know, and which yeah. is another thing. I mean, David, Paul's son, comes and joins them and he just happens to tail them to Vietnam without anyone knowing, and just showing up in the middle of this movie or the beginning of this movie, saying, I want to spend some time with my dad and also I know you guys are hunting for gold and I want some. I, I hated that introduction. Yeah. And but then he just happens
1: to befriend the uh the the mine you know, uh, deactivators. Oh my God. Right. Bef- and they show up, of course. <laughs> and right they just happen to show up yeah. when they're in a minefield. Right. <laughs> One of the exactly. Friends- and they, they're
0: like right next to them too, by the way. Uh. I, and that's why I was, I kind of like that Paul kind of turned on them immediately after getting David free from the mine. Yeah. Like that was a great scene. That was very harrowing and it showed the strain in the, uh, yin and yang and the relationship Paul has with his son. And he's a very loving person, but he still doesn't fully embrace his son. And that's all shown in this scene. They get David free and Paul immediately turns on the three French people, Paul Walter Hauser, Seppo, and, and Hayda. And I was okay with that because to me, I was thinking the only possible explanation that there can be for these three French people to be that close to these guys is because they were tailing them and were going to turn on them and take the gold for themselves. Yeah, and that storyline happened. I mean, that storyline happens. The Vietnam soldiers come in and actually do that storyline. The French people are innocent. But I, I was kind of like on Team Paul at that point. I'm like, yeah, these guys are going to turn on you.
1: I and mean, great performances, some great interactions throughout. Like Paul Walter Hauser does a great, I mean, he's sobbing in one scene that I thought really worked. I mean, yeah. I, he was excellent. But I, it's, it's very frustrating because you, if you wrote that group out of the movie, it's much shorter and it, right. and it works better. I know we jumped forward, but I wanted to hit on a couple other things back in Act 1, early Act 2. The ride of the Valkyries spike lee's version (laughs) of this to mimic apocalypse now in this film it's brilliant it's meta it's gorgeous it speaks volumes i mean it just sets the table for the the rest of the film i love that sequence i was just hoping the rest of the movie was going to live up to it i was so happy at that point that was kind
0: of the the intent of this movie i felt after watching the whole thing this is the black apocalypse now this is spike lee's apocalypse now yeah, it's literally, they're literally in the ruins of Captain Kurtz at the end. Right, right. I mean, it's it's got a lot of the same beats, a lot of the same shots. And yeah, it's it's not Martin Sheen wading through dust so you don't get a half a face of uh, Marlon Brando there. But it's it's got a lot of similarities, right down to some shots of the sun, for Christ's sake.
1: Yeah, I, 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 wish, I wish we had a little more of that. But Mike, in Act 2, David needs to poop, and he just so <laughs> happens to dig a hole right on top of a gold bar in the ground. Hated that. Hated that. Hated that. It's the biggest coincidence in ever any movie I've ever seen. I mean, it's. I get it that they're in somewhat of the area. They're they're at least in the zip code of where this gold was, and they're trying. They're circling it, and they're getting closer. But all right, a mudslide takes all the gold, and he just so happens to dig a hole where a where a plate of gold is. Are you kidding me?
0: I hated that. I was able to forgive it because the movie was long enough and I am like, fine, we're here. Let's get on to chasing the body now and finding the remains of Storm and Norman. When they find Norman's body, the same fucking spot the gold is... I lost my shit. I was like, you got to be kidding. What is this movie about then? Why? I mean, they they did such a good job to me at that point, building up the relationship and the respect that these four guys had for Norman, that they they would make it their business to make sure he got home and got a soldier's tribute home. And that basically gets dwindled down to just becoming a a plot vehicle. It's a means to an end to get to this kind of action movie thing we end up dealing with at the end here. I, I despise the way
1: the finding of Norman's body was treated. I think like this is a strong action movie plot, though, like if we got an action movie that was just to shoot them up and Spike just went crazy with it. You know that I would I would forgive this plot line in like, you know, a taken style movie more than I would like an Oscars level drama. That being said, I, you know, it makes sense to me that they were buried in the same vicinity as one another. I'd love to scene when they, they found Norm's bodies when they found his body you know they the old rifle comes up first then the dog tags then the skull i mean that the prayer they have together i mean the words they say your sisters will be waiting for us you're going home blood i, mm-hmm. I mean the hands together you know ariel's shot looking down on that was just it gave me goosebumps and it brought tears to my eyes i love that scene and at this point in the movie i'm still with it right but after this Act two problems just rise up, Mike, because yeah. we have that scene with Eddie. He gives a why can't we just all get a long speech? He gives this speech like why can't we, you know, everybody love everybody. Everybody, you know, Norm wouldn't have wanted this. And he just loses his mind. And you know he's going to step on a mine at that point. I wasn't even surprised. But you don't know how horribly he's going to die. Like that was the most, not, most nightmarish, gruesome way to die ever. Well, you said night, and that's where my mind went immediately.
0: Uh, (laughs) That's supposed to be an emotional crux scene, and you're supposed to have you know, the atrocities of war and this kinship, this brotherhood. And yes, brothers fight. That's why they're brothers and everything's going to be okay. But, you know, Eddie's going to be taken out. We had seen that these guys were being trailed by some Vietnam soldiers or some Vietnam officers with guns previously. So I actually thought one of them was going to shoot him in the middle of this. And that would kick off the action sequences. He steps on a mine. Okay, Eddie steps on a mine in the middle of his speech. Why doesn't everybody love each other? Eddie should be dead, (laughs) like exploded. The mine went off under him. Instead, we get... The scenes of eddie crying out for help and when the smoke clears he's literally the black knight from monty python yeah. i mean the guy's sitting there on the ground no arms no legs his torso is gutted open but he's still alive screaming out and his last word is blood I, oh my i laughed i know that's the opposite effect of what that scene is supposed to have on someone but i
1: thought it was cartoonish it was over the top and i was waiting you for you to explain the knight comment from earlier <laughs> it's like what is he? that's just, just that a hanging? flesh wound no, it's it's right. It, it, it's it's unfortunate that he would go to 11 for that scene and, and that death scene. I mean, that's something that reminds was... me of a 1970s bad, you know, action movie. It didn't. That's work. a Steven
0: Seagal movie. I mean, yeah. that's that's so out of touch for the tone of this movie and for the tone of what Spike Lee's done in his career. I, I couldn't. Maybe that's the Netflix thing coming into play, or maybe that was all Spike, or maybe that was a Netflix note saying he needed that. I don't know. But I I really, I thought that was the low point of this movie.
1: Yeah, it's it's a, it's a low point. It doesn't really get much higher when they meet up with the Lamb people again, like we talked about. I did love the scene where David is pulled off the mine. the Jethro Bodine. Love that scene. Maneuver, my God! And, and he's like, "Where did you go to college?" The house. I mean, it's just a great pump-up scene. You know, he's he's talking about the Edward Moses, the hurdler. I yep. loved how Spike put all the history and you get the you know the pictures, frame shots. You know, it worked in really fast. And then that scream from Lindo when his son is alive. I it made it almost made me cry again. So yeah. I'm still with this movie at this point, but it, you know, it's just it's it's frustrating because then spike gives you literally the most frustrating scenes of the movie so this worked for you so lindo goes off and takes charge of this group it's just to me it was just like the right when he actually you know gets somewhere with his kid and that relationship is going forward that's when it gets you know falls off a cliff L- and a couple times
0: paul loses his shit without explanation and it was frustrating to me and i didn't understand why and i kind of chalked it up and maybe this is a bigger problem a microcosm of society's issue at large because i just tried chalking it up to maybe his ptsd which is irresponsible of me but i didn't know where else to put it because he, he reacts so viscerally to what i think is like not a moment to react that way and it happens a couple times the appreciation i got from that scene was i think i was maybe making an excuse for why he him acting that way was okay and i think the coincidence is where i put that blame, the coincidence that those land people just happened to be there, so yeah. of course they had to be spies. But the, the David saving moment was the end of like 25, 20 to 25 minutes in a row of what I thought were just poorly constructed scenes. So I was impressed with how this movie kept bringing me back in. Right. And,
1: yeah, it's an it's a scene with with Paul where he's at the breaking point and you know he's unstable and you learn later that he's riddled with lymphoma, he's riddled with cancer. Right. That he heard that at the VA hospital and he's kind of on a you know de- he has a death wish there so you learn how unstable he is later again this is kind of what i was referring to earlier when they explain things away after the fact but all you need to know is that he's he's struggling at that point but yeah you, it's it's a t- it's a tough scene it's one of those points in the movie where you have to reckon with it and it, and, and the filmmakers and the storyteller they're going to make you suffer because you Mm -hmm. don't want to see all the people you're rooting for turn against one another at that point for that to come off the heels of four you know kind of rough scenes in a row a couple rough scenes in a row that's where this movie really you know loses its its way in act two so that's that's like the frustrating thing about the core of this film
0: i agree and i want to qualify what i mean when i say that i i thought it was a good thing like it's not presented as a this moral quandary but paul is presented and you understand paul to be a dick i only sided with him again because of another shortcoming in the script where i thought the only possible thing that makes sense is if these three french people were spying on them and pet plans to turn on them so i was kind of guessing the end and if the ends was what i was guessing then i was okay with what paul was doing paul is in no way in the right in the scene whatsoever
1: no, they happen to be at the same bar together and they right. happen to be at the same part of the giant jungle right. that they're traversing at the, you know different times. It's, it's ridiculous and it's a coincidence and it's contrivance, right. it doesn't work. In terms of the Paul going off on his own sequence and they cut back and forth with the other group going back to the ruins to make a final stand with the gangsters led by Jean Reno, we come to learn. What did you think about the Delroy Lindo stuff from then on? You get some signature style from Spike, you get Delroy Lindo speaking, to the camera for long stretches I love how Spike does this at the end of movies it's vintage Spike Lee jointness what would you think
0: I had to stop taking notes when he's breaking the fourth wall and speaking right to camera and being direct with us the first time he does it twice the first time I thought it was so powerful and gripping and it was you see this man who Somewhere inside him, he has to know he's fighting a losing battle on many fronts, but his resolve as a soldier and his mindset in that moment is, I'm not going to die. You're not going to tell me what takes me out. I'm going to tell me what takes me out. And I thought it was gripping. And the way Delroy Lindo delivers it right to camera, oh, my God. I I literally could not stop
1: staring at the screen. I was enthralled by it. And you just wish he, like, listened to the lessons from, from Eddie and from what the other guys were saying earlier. From Norman, he, yeah. From Norman. He, he doesn't care about the money when it gets caught in a branch. You know, he, he, he falls on the, uh, the little booby trap there from years ago, and he's, he gets out of it easily enough. But he doesn't care about the bag. He leaves it for Norm. He yeah. doesn't even care about the money, and it, which just makes it all the more tragic. Uh, so then he has that reunion with Norm. And I thought it worked until it didn't, and we have to watch him sob for like two minutes straight, which is, again, it's just, it's a, it's a thing, for me about executing an overly emotional scene. If you show all of the emotion, sometimes it doesn't play well, and 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 I think Spike doesn't do this all that often. You know, he doesn't sit there. Maybe he was so enamored with Delroy's performance. I just—I mean—the man is breaking down like an ugly, crying mess—and you get why. It's just—it's just really hard to watch. Yeah, uh, that's not necessarily really a negative nobody yeah, really but, does that in war
0: movies either which is I i think maybe why i'm more, more forgiving of it because war i i can only imagine being in that situation never mind having to be a black man on top of it going through all the bullshit and li- that life throws at you as a black man on top of being somebody sent to vietnam and abused and basically used as human shields and the human front lines that these black soldiers were for a war nobody wanted to get into and then they were treated like criminals when they come home so i i kind of I, I empathize more so with that like i didn't I thought it was Spike pulling back everything and letting you actually see the the effect it could have on a soldier, which I, I was OK with. I mean, it didn't take me out of the movie. I, I think I had less of a problem with it than you seem to.
1: Well, I, you know, maybe it's a me problem again. John Krasinski, ah! <laughs> Mike, I think uh, I think it's brilliant what Spike does with that whole sequence, though, instead of watching Delroy Lindo get captured and dig his own grave. For the most part, we see the end of it. That whole sequence is in place of of the capture. I mean, the fact his reunion with Chadwick Boseman's right. Norm character is, is in place of the capture, and I I thought that was brilliant. I thought it gave it gave so much to that character. I thought it worked because it, it works within the man's madness at that point. And uh, it's really powerful, and like you said, there's, there's he's speaking so much truth throughout the throughout all of that, and yet you still see him struggling with you know not trusting anybody. He doesn't even trust the VA hospital that's diagnosed him with lymphoma. So it, it's it's frustrating, but at the same time, it, it knocks you over. I just wish you didn't have to see him die like that. Like this is MacGruber yeah. level. Bad, you know, special effects. I mean, it's just gross. I mean, it's Rambo-level shoot-em-up. I mean, they all machine-gun them. It's gross. Why? They had... I, I guess
0: it goes back to to the the horrors of, of war, right? And what these Vietnam officers had always been told about the American soldiers, maybe. And yeah. that's that's the only excuse as to why they riddled him with bullets. Because they seem to have such visceral contempt for Paul uh, from the moment they, they saw him. And it, had to, it it's like, it's not equivalent to the contempt you would have if you were trying to steal gold from somebody there was more to it than that so i don't know where that came from i'm with you that was probably a bit much but the scene itself was spectacular it was. it was well done and it and it reveals why paul was taking norman's uh, lessons to heart the hardest and why he took norman's death to heart the hardest because he was the end actually one that that killed norm yeah, via friendly fire
1: yeah, accidentally i mean it was it was great and that was a powerful scene too. That flashback, and it built up to that. I wish the flash—I mean, the flashbacks—to me held Act One together. I wish the flashbacks were able to hold Act Two together more. Right. But it came back and paid off in Act Three. I still—I still have a problem with the big flashy action scenes or bloodbath scenes. Like it doesn't necessarily work with the high drama that you're portraying. When it when that works, you don't need the Tarantino level violence. Or maybe yeah, he, it's like he a he gangster made, movie payoff. He made that deliberate decision. To to show that level of blood and, and gore but it's just it's hard when you when you care about a character so much like you know this group of guys and Eddie and you know the way that. Mel dies, jumping on the grenade, was heroic. You yes. don't see a giant blood spatter. You don't have to see him be a carcass like that. And it, it, he's, it, he's a man who's a, such a hero. He saves, you know, the Clark Peters character, Otis, in that scene. Because Otis, you know, you realize it's just a few feet away from him. So, my God, the heroism of that. I just wish they built up to it with the character. That's a great point. How, I mean,
0: Melvin dies by jumping on a grenade and we see nothing but smoke coming out of the bottom of his body and he's lifeless and motionless. Eddie steps on a landmine and we see him black knighting from Monty Python. Yeah. Like what, how does that happen in the same movie with this? How is that being done by the same director? That's a great point. Why is violence so amplified to a near cartoonish
1: level one time? And then somewhere in the middle there, closer to the Eddie side than the Melvin side is Paul's death. I don't know. It's, it's frustrating because the firefight at the end, that whole sequence from the ambush, to you know the ruse to the ambush i mean it's it's sad right in the middle with with otis and mel there but then it's it's just heroic i mean it's heroic how these guys fight these you know genre no gangsters off i mean it's incredible it's one of the spike's best action scenes in his career i thought it worked extraordinarily well yeah
0: i mean the the job that this script does do despite its pitfalls and getting you on the soldier the five blood side and making you feel like this is a realistic payoff and this is the only way it could go down, I thought was masterful and not many directors could possibly pull that off, especially having to deal with the some of the shortcomings and some of the lowlights that this script does have in store for it. I loved the way it was shot. I also like the uh, the little fuck you that Jean Renault's character had and those 14 subtextual messages by him wearing Paul's MAGA hat at the end there when he rolls up. It's not only an FU to the Bloods. It's not only an FU to Otis specifically. It's also got some subtext with Trump and all that. And I thought that was a nice touch. But the way it was shot, it looked like a really decent action movie. And the way it was pulled off, the script did a great job just overcoming all the lowlights that it had in store. I don't know any other director. I mean, there's certainly not many that could pull that ending off and have it be believable and, realistic and overcome all the shortcomings the script had in store for it previously.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, the finale being this good st- makes the movie worthwhile and worth the journey. You know, I wish it was 20 minutes shorter, or I wish we allocated the time more to this group of guys and how they were foils to one another more clearly at times. Maybe that's something we, you know, upon rewatches, we, we, we are wise to much more. Maybe we find a lot of subtext you know, written in here for Mel's character, etc. What did you think of the uh, the big epilogue? Spike is, is known for these big epilogues. You get the signature shot with Otis and his daughter. You get a lot of, you know, timely stuff, you know, with Black Lives Matter movement and them getting a donation. I mean, that was, like, pathetic. Yeah,
0: I, this is what Spike Lee has done, especially lately, uh, showing the, the impact that these fictitious stories have on real-life issues. And what, you know, if only what could be if all of us do what we should be doing. And I, yeah. it's, it's a Spike Lee signature. And I think, especially talking about timely and being in the moment in history that we
1: all are in right now, it couldn't be more appropriate. So it's final grades time, Mike, final thoughts, final grades. Uh, you want to start? Yeah, this is either a D plus or an a minus.
0: I, <laughs> this is, this could go anyway. Like it's so hard to give that good of a grade. It's almost out of respect for Spike Lee I have this as a B-minus. Yeah. Because pretty much, I don't know, any other director, save for like four or five other directors doing presenting some of these scenes in the way they were presented here with a movie this long, I, I think it would be hard to call it anything other than a C. But there's the highs are still so high in this. I, I attribute all that great work to, to Spike Lee, and I, I'm, I'm an 82 B-minus. Maybe that's too kind, and maybe it's not kind enough. I'm not really sure.
1: I'm, um, I'm. I got the same grade. It's a B minus, 80 for me. Again, I think you know I'm a little harsher on the negatives that, that frustrate me with the script. But I think at the same time, you know, the, the goods that Spike only Spike Lee can deliver. It's so unique, and I, there's a great movie in here. That's the most frustrating part. Like, right. if if I don't know if it's oversight, I don't know if it's just screenwriter, the right screenwriter, if Willamette you know, had it from the start. I mean, the Oscar-nominated screenwriter from the start. If he, if it was just him and Spike working on a tight script like they did for Black Klansman. I mean, that's that was as tight as it gets. Yes, uh, that was not a sprawling script. And I all. wonder
0: how much studio intervention was in there. I, I can't help but think that Netflix has something to do with this, because this is almost the exact same problem we had, by and large, with the
1: Irishman script and the way it was shot. Yeah, it, it's frustrating at the end of the day. And that's where I land, because I, I would give this like a high B plus, low A minus. Right. You know, if, if some of the, the problems were out of this movie. But it is, unfortunately, a B minus. It still has some superlatives, though, like Delroy Lindo's performance and the cinematography. So much style. I You can't. You can't go wrong with, with a Spike Lee movie. I mean, you, you really can't watch one of his films and walk away from it having learned nothing. So I was glad to, you know, attack this movie with you today. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something we're going to have to come back to.
0: Yeah, hopefully. And hopefully Delaware Lindo's name is one that we keep saying all throughout award season. You know, whenever the hell award season happens to be this year. But obviously we, as always, want to hear from you, dear listener. Did you watch the Five Bloods yet? What did you think? Did some of these pitfalls uh, avoid you? Did you not see them as low lights like we have? Or did you see even more or less? Uh, Let us know. We want to hear from you about all that and anything else we do here in the MMO Empire. As always, you can leave us those thoughts, comments, questions, concerns. We are Mike, Mike and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike and oscar on instagram at mm and oscar on twitter mike mike and oscar at gmail.com.com and on reddit we are available everywhere you hear podcasts if you happen to still be stuck inside and letting us try to kill an hour or so of your time a couple times a week in quarantine we cannot thank you enough if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review on the apple podcast app that would really make our day special michael
1: uh we actually have stuff coming next that's like movies and whatnot so tell the good people about those yeah, we got the King of Staten Island. That'll be our next episode, I think, and our next review, unless some major Oscar move, uh, news drops. We're going to do an Oscar race checkpoint now, I think. It was going to be MMOW uh, at the midweek point, but I think an, an ORC makes more sense. We got an MMOW. I've been writing that one for a while, so that, that'll come too. We got another James Bond character study episode yeah. for Pierce Brosnan this time that we've been you know, doing monthly. I know we're doing it a little later in June, but a lot has happened happened in june i mean it was just uh, that's what for a, sure what a terrible <laughs> terrible year this has been what a terrible month but look stay safe stay tuned somehow the movie news keeps coming folks somehow you know I think a lot of people are giving us hope out there. A lot of voices that need to be heard that are finally being heard. And it, you know, in terms of words of wisdom, listen to them and let's keep learning. And you know, we we learned a lot from Spike Lee from this movie. It's something we need to revisit as well.
0: Absolutely, echo all those sentiments, and also stay tuned for our Rocketeer Legion double feature double review, which is <laughs> sure to come at some point uh, if we lose our minds enough. Guys, when reality sucks, you can come watch these movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make awards season year round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon.
1: See ya.